Hello everyone, it's Precious Pioneer, and welcome to a bonus episode of Precious the Foodie. Earlier this year, I had the wonderful opportunity to be a guest featured on Michelle's podcast, Food Slain. I'll be sure to leave all of her information in the show notes, but I think that this episode gives some really good insight into the importance of knowing where your food comes from and how to properly source your food. We have a really great conversation. If you're interested in other episodes where I'm featured on other podcasts, uh, giving some insight into the food industry, I do have a sub-podcast called Precious Pioneer Audio Experience. I'll also leave that in the show notes, but I hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome to Precious the Foodie Podcast, the show that will uncover stories through palettes and memories. My name is Precious Pioneer, your host. I'm a chef, a creative, and a foodie. I'm meeting people all over the world using food as a medium to highlight truths into bite-sized pieces. Uh, welcome to Food Slain, Precious Pioneer. You've got a wonderful podcast yourself. I'm going to let you introduce yourself to my audience. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Precious Pioneer. Um, you're right, I do have a podcast called Precious the Foodie. Um, and we talk about um, different things related to uh, the culinary side of the world all the way to health. And um, basically kind of talking about uh, people's different cultures and how they are related to food all over the world. That's fantastic. I mean, food is such an integral part of our everyday lives. You know, I talk about it all the time on my podcast. And we have a lot of things um, that we are commonly interested in, the two of us. You also have a chef background. I'd love to hear more about that, too. And we, we have some common pet peeves in that industry, too. <laughs> of course, of course. And I think you're right. Uh, culturally, I, uh, we do stand out because uh, food kind of is integrated in everybody's life. Um, and I think that's something that everyone has a unique story and perspective to touch upon. And it's one of the main reasons why I decided to become a chef is because I really loved the integral part of um, how meals play a role in our significant memories and things like that. And I love to be a part of people's story. You know, when people come to my restaurant, they come to celebrate their anniversaries, their birthdays and celebrations, you know, and they take a little bit of piece of me, you know, I'm a part of that memory, you know, and so that's what really inspires me. And yeah, we do have a lot in common in the sense that I, um, I call myself like a sustainable chef. I really am focused on thinking about food, not only as a way to celebrate a meal, but also where it comes from and um, being socially responsible to the guests to make sure that they have the highest quality ingredients and that people know um, and are educated about what the food, what kind of foods that they're consuming, but also more as like a food advocate side of the people who um, don't have access to proper nutrition, especially in the gentrification in America. Uh, we have a lot of that where there's food deserts and things like that, where people don't have access to uh, the right nutrition. And so I really like to um, work on that, you know, work on the systems that we have in place to get rid of um, all the food waste, especially in restaurants, you know, so it's very, it's very interesting. It's so complex. Food kind of touches a little bit of everything. It touches our medical history. It touches um, our homeless. Uh, it touches, you know, our rich and wealthy and how agriculture is run. Um, so it's just very interesting to see how uh, it plays a role in our lives. It's so fully integrated into our lives. Like you said, on every level, 
you know, coming from having also a restaurant background, I used to also be, um, well, I'm still an educator. You know, I teach classes and food classes and things like that. And I started my chef career actually as a raw food chef way back in the early 2000s, <laughs> you know, before it was before it was really, you know, trendy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I was working at a restaurant that uh, the owners of the restaurant, they owned a building. So I'm a New Yorker, native New Yorker. And so I was working in the city downtown, Lower East Side, holler, you know. And so I was working at this restaurant on First Avenue between 6th and 7th. It was a vegetarian, kind of upscale vegetarian restaurant that had a sustainable wine bar. So it was really ahead of its time. And the, the restaurant owners owned a building around the corner that they lived in. And they installed a rooftop garden on top of that building. And that was, I think, probably the most... Uh, or the closest at that time that I had gotten to sourcing food, right? Because as a chef, as you know, we're sourcing food from distributors, right? We're, we're sourcing right. food from places that are far away. And being in New York and you're trying to get, you know, fresh produce, say fresh tomatoes in the middle of summer, you know, mm-hmm. or oranges and citrus and things like that, they're coming from thousands, hundreds and thousands of miles away, right? So if we're getting, mm-hmm. you know, citrus from Florida or we're getting tomatoes in winter from California or Mexico, from a sustainability standpoint, from, you know, ecologically speaking, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense, right? right? And, and that's been a real point of contention for me, not just as a chef, but I've also been a vegetarian at, at different points along the way. I'm not vegetarian now, but I do eat mostly plant-based. But I really think, you know, my argument that I have with a lot of vegetarians and people who subscribe to the raw food diet, particularly because I was in that niche for a while, I wrote a book about it in 2014, you know. But um, the ingredients that we're using in those specific diets have an ecological impact that doesn't match our intentions, right? We, we right. want to eat healthy. We want to have ingredients that are clean, but we also want to have this very sustainable perspective on food. But if you're a raw foodist, for example, and you're getting coconuts from Thailand and cashews from India and acai from Brazil, I mean, what what kind of impact are we talking about here? Because that's right. not that's not sustainable. That's not a sustainable right. food system, right? And so, there's this cognitive dissonance that I feel is it's a it's a hard bridge to to or a hard gap to fill, right? For a lot of people, they don't really think about it because we just go to the grocery store. But right. when you, but you know specifically when you start thinking about our food supply chain from, you know, a health standpoint, obviously, you know, there's health benefits to eating avocados and coconuts and, you know, fresh food. Mm -hmm. Then you look at it from an economic standpoint and you start looking into some of these ingredients that in large part in many of these countries, the workers aren't getting paid a fair wage. They're having to deal with chemicals or exposure to chemicals if they're not certified organic. And even if they are certified organic, there's no regulatory agency for oversight, right? right. Um, you know, they're, they're being shipped 
overseas, you know, we're importing them, so we're actually paying taxes on them. You know, mm-hmm. is the is the producer getting paid what it's worth in the marketplace? You know, the farmer in, in Thailand are they getting paid? Right. You know what I'm saying? So it. I know exactly what you yeah. mean. So uh, that's the issue that I have with kind of our food supply in general, but specifically mm-hmm. when it comes to the healthy side, right? Because we all want to live a healthy life. You talked about it in your opening uh, statement there, how, you know, food is so important to our culture, to our lives. And, and you know, obviously in our communities, particularly where there are poor people and communities of color, right? We access to food is really important and access to healthy food is even more of an issue right and fresh food and so i think for me the answer is local it's 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 you know eating within 30 to 50 miles of where you live if you can't get it if i can't get cashews in 30 to 50 miles that that were grown near then i I, i'm not sure i need to be eating it right like Right. Um, And I think you touched on a really solid point. You know, a lot of people um, ask me um, how how to make small changes in their lives and how they transition to a healthier diet or how they because you're right, a lot of people want to become healthier and especially in American culture, you know, like more than a third of the people are obese and they suffer from all these different problems, which is completely reversible in most cases, depending on what you're eating. And I always say the very first step is um uh is to think about how many hands have touched your food before it landed on your plate Mm -hmm. you know is it something that has to be picked had to be put on a truck shipped over in a plane and then on another truck to be refrigerated chopped up frozen diced back in your grocery store then to your plate you know that seems like a lot of different hands and that's a lot of room for error you know think about um as soon as you pick something off of a tr- like a plant like a strawberry plant how long how many days before it goes bad you think like one two or three days yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly before you lose your freshness right so think about how fast they would have to do it and certain things that they'd have to add to it to make it sustain over that period of time so it doesn't bruise and it looks absolutely perfect in your grocery store that's really not natural and so if you're ordering strawberries in the winter there's something wrong you know so you really have to think about consciously when certain things grow and then buy in season to make sure that that increases your chances of buying locally and so when you think about farmers markets and the novelty of how beautiful and everything is so delicious it's because it's right down your street that's that's why and so i think that's my very first like uh tips of advice that I usually give people is like think about how many hands have touched it and with your cashew example if it has to ship across the world and be processed in so many different ways then maybe it shouldn't be the food you think about consuming because with our agricultural system you know they their put food is put through this process to make it last and to make it look really pretty in the grocery store you know there's a whole trend going on now about um how there's a there needs to be a need to eat ugly food because oh, yeah. if it has the slightest little bruise or something it gets thrown away which is contributes to the huge amount of food waste that's thrown away in grocery stores like perfectly good food is just it won't be bought because it's not 100 percent beautiful you know so and that that's i'm so glad you brought that up because that is probably one of my biggest pet peeves (laughs) you know that only second to food packaging because i think there's so much unnecessary food packaging 
right. you know, oh. <laughs> you know that. I mean, <laughs> I, I, the way that I live my life, I, I, I have a very what I consider a very small footprint, because mm-hmm. you know I try to implement systems, and I know that's not, you know, easy for everybody because not everybody can do a compost pile, not everybody can, you know recycle their trash and you know I mean there's 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 problems with everything it seems you know when you're looking at it from a practical side from an economic perspective how it impacts the greater community and that right however when we are talking about food waste so the other day it's interesting that you bring this up too because the other day I was in the grocery store I'm not going to mention the name but I was there and I was talking to the guy who puts the produce out okay and he's seen me before he's introduced himself to me and we got to talking because I was asking him whether I could purchase some of the food waste right at a very very discounted price like the things that they can't sell anymore right that's not going to the food banks because if it's if it's spoiled humans aren't allowed to eat it but animals can right Mm -hmm. there's there's ways to keep it out of the trash, right? And and give it a, a second life or upcycle it or whatever. You know what he said? <laughs> he said, I'm sorry, we can't. By law, we can't give our spoiled food away. We can't, they can't even give it away. So that That's creates true. another system, you know, a, a tiered system of transactions, right? Because now somebody's got to go and pick it up. And then somebody who picks it up has got to take it someplace to dispose of it where it creates other problems like with pests and, and rats and all. I mean, it just blows my mind how inefficient it is. But you mentioned also something about us eating ugly fruit, right? And eating ugly vegetables. Mm-hmm. There's that whole movement and that's right. a consumer problem, right? Yes, that's a it, con- is, it is. But the thing is, though, like I think about my own actions and if there are like being realistic, if there's all the apples in the grocery store and there's one bruised one and one perfect one for the same price, like, you're going to pick the perfect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the perfect <laughs> one, right? But the thing is, though, it's sad, but like that ugly one's going to be thrown away because everyone is going to choose that perfect one. But they should be, there should be a section if there's like a bruised side where you could get a discount because it's not spoiled. There's nothing wrong with it. But if they're valued at the same price, you know, like just naturally we're going to reach for that other one, which is just not the most ideal, you know? Right. But like you're saying, if there is a section, say, for bruised fruit, there's a lot of people in the world that might like to make applesauce, right? Or might like to make fruit leather for their children, right? And you don't need perfect apples for that, but you're able to kind of make those things without the food additives, without the added sugar, without the preservatives and the you name it, right? And there are people like that and giving us the opportunity to do that. We don't even get the opportunity to choose that. Right. And that's what's that's what's really crazy. And the thing is, though, I didn't actually know how bad it was until um, a couple of years ago. I dated someone who was a huge food advocate, like way more than I would ever know. And him and his friends. um, And then later on, my coworker, I found out that some of my coworkers did this, too. Dumpster diving was a very popular trend. And I was just 
like you know me being like super <laughs> raised in a sheltered life I was like oh my god that's awful like why would you do that and they're like no you don't understand like they throw away cartons of apples they throw away like uh whole uh hands of bananas and all these different things because they're slightly brown and then they'd come home with all of this food and they would just be like wow that's so sad that they like one grocery store would throw all of this away and I'm like could you imagine how much food every single grocery store in your city and your county and your state across the world is thrown away if you get that much food just from that one grocery store on that one particular day that they went to go get it and that after after that experience I really quickly understood like how much the quantity of food we are actually throwing away and it just blew my mind because Orlando has that one of the highest locations for homelessness and uh people on the street who can't afford those things and I'm just like what in the world like that's like clearly we're not um this is not an efficient system like we need to find a hole to catch all of this food that is not pretty enough to sell to in a grocery store and so that just that really opened my perspective on that yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. That's one of the unfortunate sides of, of our consumption, you know, and it's, 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 it's just unfortunate because there are a lot of hungry people, you know. There are a lot of people who cannot afford healthy food, right? right. They, can, they can afford unhealthy food, you know, fast food. They can afford, you know, the, the $2 burger meal, which is laden with salt and sugar and preservatives right. and all this other stuff that's causing asthma and health problems, diabetes. Like, we, you know, you and I could go down the list of preventable diseases, not just for adults, but for also for our children. And right. it, it really, it, it kind of highlights how um, the systems that are built, and, and it's really very eye-opening to me especially doing this podcast that I'm doing on the food supply chain is now that I'm digging right and I'm digging for information it's the same failings in every single agricultural industry or food or, or what it's the same failings there's this you know there's production there's farmers there's monocrops there's chemicals there's you know, I mean, it, it just goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and you see how inefficient it is, how it's destroying our planet, how it's destroying our health, how it's, we're paying more for food that's actually poisoning us. It's, right. You know. But something that I think is really empowering, especially what you're doing um, on the show and um by creating a place where people can just be educated about these things. Cause I, I honestly think that one of the biggest issues that people just really didn't understand and, or understand how big or how deep it goes or why grocery stores are so easy to access. Like that's pretty questionable how you can get anything at any time of the day, anywhere, yep. all the time. Yep. That's kind of bizarre and that's not how nature works. And so I think as people are starting to understand this with their limited resources and how now there's a dedicated uh, section in the grocery store just for organic because the other food is kind of poisonous because it's sprayed with all these chemicals um, becomes yeah. more um, newsworthy. I think it's really amazing how we're evolving because especially as chefs, you know, one of my favorite chefs, Dan Barber, he actually advocates for, um, 
home growing, like chefs to take over and to home grown your own garden and to teach your neighbors and to teach your friends and to learn to grow your own food, especially things that are overpriced and simple to produce things like tomatoes or herbs and all these different things, you know? And so he's, he gives you a game plan of like when to grow certain things in season and when's the most greatest time to harvest and recipes to make, you know, and all these different things. And I, I just think it's really interesting how we're kind of taking that narrative back because after the whole coronavirus um, thing, which is still going on, um, by the way, (laughs) uh, but with all of that, um, it was really sad that a lot of the agri, well, it's sad, but it's also a new way to pivot that um, a lot of the agriculture failed, you know, as you can see, because of the demand, you know, a lot of stuff got thrown away. Um, It turned out that only like three or four giant corporations owns all of the agriculture that we eat today, which is essentially a monopoly, which, you know, doesn't give them any regulations on what we can eat, which isn't safe for any of us because, you know, with companies like that, they choose, um, capitalistic uh, values or um, ways to uh, uh, ways to uh, bring in the most revenue, not necessarily for our health. And so I think we have our health in mind is where we can kind of take that narrative back. And um, I think once we start doing that food, like, like we said before, food kind of connects everything. So once we learn how to eat healthier food and take control of that narrative, um, we'll see a lot, a huge improvement in our health and our mind, the way that we think, um, and our culture, it just plays a role in everything that we do. There's no doubt about it, you know, and, and how hard is it, you know, to grow a year's worth of food, you know, does anybody really know how, what it takes, you know, I'm sure that there are some people, farmers have been doing it for millennia, right? They've been, right. you know, grow, our ancestors had to do it before grocery stores were a thing, right? They had to do it. They had to raise their backyard chickens. They had fresh eggs. They were able to, you know, grow seasonally and preserve foods, right? Right. So that they Canning and pickling. Totally. And so I did a bunch of that last year, which gave me some information about what I need to do this time around and it's really you know like you're saying you know because food is so important to us it's part of our survival but it's also part of how we celebrate how we comfort ourselves how we share you know memories with friends and family and even strangers right and you know I I had my first farm to table event last year and it was just some friends, right? I didn't invite anybody I didn't know because I wasn't, I didn't know how it was going to go. But, um, and I was also teaching last, a year before last, I was teaching farm to table uh, cooking classes and farm to shaker okay. classes. So, you know, getting this, you know, little farm to shaker, getting your little, you know, tomatoes ready and your basil ready for, you know, your little happy hour. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> And what's so gratifying about taking that approach when you're growing your own food, if you've ever done it, I don't know, I should ask you, have you ever? I have. Yeah. Oh my God. Right? It's very rewarding. Oh my God. When, when you start seeing those little flowers on the tomatoes and you get that first little baby coming out. I mean, it's so exciting. It's a lot of work, 
but the the sense of pride that you have knowing that you participated in that is I mean I don't even know if there's words for it. it it's really something that you just have to experience and I'm so glad that you brought that up because a lot of people are turning to either their local farmers if they don't have the time or space to do it um, and a lot of people are getting back into growing their own food and taking responsibility for that because I think people know innately that there's just a lot of problems with our food supply that are not supporting our well-being overall. Right, right. And I, I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, growing your own food, I don't know. It's like, I think it's a sense of nurturing something from a little seed all the way until being able to pick it and then suddenly like your tomato is way more tomatoey than you've ever had before and you know it just it's like it sparks so much joy seeing something grow into fruition I suppose um but I think with us taking back the narrative there's something really cool that's happening um I mentioned that gentrificated areas and food deserts or people in poor communities who don't have access to um you know, proper nutrition, like even a grocery store, um, they mostly have things like fast food on or corner stores right. where they can get chips or random junk food, you know. Um, there's this guy, I forget his name, but he goes by the gangster gardener in mm -hmm. LA mm -hmm. and he teaches people how to use um, basic things that they have at home to create plant beds mm -hmm. um, that they could use in the little front uh, piece of land that they have in the front of their house, how they can grow um, different pallets and how they can use their old cabinets and things like that to kind of store plants and all these different things and he's just teaching people um the importance of nutrition and growing your own food even if it's just the essentials yeah. um and and i know a lot of my friends who are, are growing expensive things considered to be expensive only because they're really hard to store right in a grocery store and so that's why herbs are ridiculously priced and uh, avocados and all these different things it's mostly just because it's really hard to store <laughs> and so um there we're kind of just taking back that narrative and being able to grow it ourselves and suddenly you have a value there you can use it and trade and with your neighbors and all these different things you know so i think that's really cool yeah i invited that guy onto my show really so what did he say if you're listening i think his name is ron Yes. Um, if you're listening, Ron, the opportunity still stands. The invitation is still open. <laughs> um, but um, you said a couple of things there that I want to touch on, particularly with when you are harvesting food at its peak. And what I know about growing food, <clears throat> especially, you know, in, um, in season, when you pick a tomato out of your garden at the peak of its ripeness, you are consuming the nutritional profile at its peak, right? You're getting all the best nutrition, all the best sugars, all the phytonutrients that are genetically a part of that fruit or vegetable. And since we're talking about tomatoes, we know the tomatoes are fruits, right? When you're getting a tomato that was grown in Mexico in the winter that is picked way before its ripeness. It goes through an irradiation process and a gas, there's some kind of gas that it gets exposed to it to, to hasten the ripening, right? 
What right. you're not getting in that tomato is you're not getting those natural sugars that the tomato plant draws up from the soil when the sun is beating it down mid-summer, right, and bringing up those sugars and bringing up that lycopene and bringing up, like, all the antioxidants that are in the skin and all that because it's been artificially ripened, mm-hmm. right? So there's, there's that component. And then, like you're saying, there's a cost to that as well, right? You can take one tomato seed, right, and make one plant and get three to five pounds of tomatoes from one plant. I know. Right? That's pretty, that's pretty <laughs> crazy. <laughs> and that's one seed in a packet of, say, half an ounce or quarter ounce of seeds, right, that you might pay three bucks for at the grocery store or you know like I'm growing a lot of herbs this season for that specific reason because that it just pisses me off that we we're paying three or four bucks sometimes six for bucks bit. for a little bunch of basil in that, a plastic right <laughs> you know and you need just two or three leaves or maybe you need the whole bunch because you're making some pesto or whatever but then it sits in the refrigerator and it just falls apart in, in two days. And then it winds up in the compost or it winds up in the trash. And it's so wasteful. But if you're growing it, say, in your windowsill, just- right? Right? You just take a little bit off when you need it. Or you can grow a lot of it. And you can dehydrate it in your oven or in a dehydrator and have it throughout the year. Or you can propagate it and make more basil plants. Or you can freeze it, right? You can process it and freeze it, put it in your freezer in little cubes so you can use it when you're cooking. I mean, there's so many wonderful ways to, you know, hedge some of these food waste problems. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought it up because it really is, it's a, it's a big, big thing. And I think as chefs, I know for me, one of the, one of the biggest challenges that I had as a chef, because when I was working in the restaurant, the executive chef, you know, he was the big man on campus, right? He called all the shots, <laughs> you know, bought all the ingredients and everything. And uh, the work that I was doing as the raw food chef, it was just a feature at that time. It wasn't, there weren't, there were a couple of regular menu items, but I would do this thing called Raw Tuesdays. And so I would do a three-course prefix menu that was paired with wines, right? So I would be relegated to figuring out how to use his leftovers, you know, all of his, like, excess vegetable leftovers and, and try to figure out how to make it interesting and delicious and beautiful and then, like, pair it with wine. And it was the greatest creative challenge I've ever had as a chef because I had to figure out how to use what I had and make it delicious, healthy, and beautiful in order to sell it for 10 or 12 bucks, you know? And I had to do three courses of that. And so it was fantastic. It was a fantastic education in how to manage waste, basically, you know? <laughs> right. It was great. I definitely, I definitely can relate to that. I think that a lot of the restaurants that I have worked at, um, if they don't have any gr- green initiatives, I, I'm just sure to initiate some. And one of the biggest things is that we didn't use our parsley ends or our olive end or onion ends and all these different things and scraps and I'm like but we make soup every day yeah. you know with the stock so why are we going to use fresh carrots when we're peeling it we're cutting all these different things just to throw it away that's like the base of the stocks 
use that, you know? So it's all these different things that we are so used to just throwing away at home. I'm just like, we, we could use this and it's the base of all these different dishes. And so I can definitely agree on that segment. And as for the seeds that you were talking about, I think something that uh, your listeners will find value out of this is that imagine how many seeds a bell pepper has. So many. If you just if you just think of that, just one bell pepper, you invest a dollar fifty maybe for whichever one you like, and suddenly you have fifty to a hundred seeds in that bell pepper that you can sun dry and plant all of them. Yep. You know, and so I've definitely done that, or I keep enough that way. Like if I mess up or if friends need some, I have so many. You can do that for totally. jalapenos. You can do that for Thank any you. fruit that you yep. have. You can do that for literally anything because you know that's how nature works but um i think it's just super cool it's super fascinating that you can just you can just see that yeah and it doesn't cost you any more than the peppers that you were going to buy for your you know fajita right (laughs) that you were going to buy anyway (laughs) yeah yeah i love that and nature is so abundant and i see it all the time you know when i'm growing my food and i save my seeds every year you should see my broccoli plants okay uh... my broccoli plants and i'm just going to give you this little anecdotal story so last year i planted six broccoli plants only six maybe that sounds like a lot but i only planted six and i wasn't very hopeful because my broccoli didn't really do well the year before so i was like ah i'll just do six so i planted the six and it was june it was a year ago and planted them, and I actually got almost 11 pounds of broccoli throughout the season. Wow. Come November, right, it started getting cold, and I was, like, contemplating whether I should, you know, chop and drop them. Do I just leave them? What, am I, what do I do? So I was kind of lazy because the weather got really cold really fast. I'm in the Pacific Northwest, so the rains come, then it's the snow, blah, 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 whatever. So I left them in the ground. Don't you know that all the way up until April, like two months ago, they were still producing broccoli florets, like side shoots, right? Okay. And now, if you saw them, they are probably three feet around, full of seeds. Just seeds, just seeds, just pods of seeds, these huge, you know, like pods and all of the branches, all of it went to flower. And now I have probably pounds of seeds out of four plants because I took two of them out because they started (laughs) falling into, you know, the walkways. And I was just like, you know what, maybe I'll just take it down. Four plants, three feet around, about three feet high, just full of seed pods. So I have broccoli seeds. So go to the website, foodslaying.com, get some broccoli seeds, y'all. Like we need, you know, I have seeds. I should send you some so you can grow some broccoli where you are. This particular variety of broccoli is, it does well here in this region. And so, you know, I don't know how it will perform where you are, but it, it blew my mind that one seed created not just broccoli for eight, nine months through the winter, but then went to flower and to seed and is going to give me back 10 times 
or maybe even a hundred times what I invested into it. How remarkable is that? It's really, it's really cool, honestly. Right? Uh, random question: uh, Did you happen to make use of your broccoli flowers? Did you eat them, or you do anything with them, or so? Just curious. I didn't. You know, they were flowering in, you know, from maybe January through March. They were in flower, and at that time, that's when I was contemplating cutting them down. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that if I took the flowers that I may not get the seeds. So, oh, okay. so at that point I was, I was just committed and I said, you know what, let's just see what happens. I'll just see if I get any seed. Well, boy, did I get seed. I got a lot of seed, <laughs> you know, and brassicas are interesting that way. They will, you know, they're cold weather crops anyway. They like the cold. They don't like the heat. And so mm -hmm. I think that's why they did so well through the winter. And it was kind of a mild winter. It didn't get too cold. Um, so they just really did well. The brassicas that I just put in in May have already started to bolt, which, okay. is, which is nuts, right? They're, they, <laughs> they never really got to full maturity, but they're starting to flower because, you know, they send out, you know, their little pheromones. When the weather changes, it gets too warm, and they're like, i got to save my life. And they send out their flowers and start making seeds, which mm -hmm. is fine, I guess, you know. But I think this winter I'm going to plant a bunch of brassicas and, and just yeah, have okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I have a question for you. Sure. So I'd love for you to talk about maybe some of your experiences beyond your chef life right um when it comes to i know we talked about food waste we've talked about gardening and 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 growing your own food how does that come together for you in real life where you are right all of this experience that you have you know making food sharing food creating experiences for other people growing your own food right? Mm -hmm. how, how, what does that look like for you and your own kind of circle, right? Like, what does that look like for you with, you know, because you talk about a lot of things, food waste, sustainability, you know, like, tell right. me a little bit about that. So, um, I think I really started getting into, like, I knew I always wanted a garden, but I really started getting into it in uh, college. The thing is, though, I couldn't really have a garden growing up because I'm a military kid, so we moved from place to place. And as soon as you put the seeds in the ground, you're like, okay, well, bye, you know, and as soon as we, it'd be blooming, you know. Yeah. And so I just never really had that growing up, but I knew that I always wanted to just give it a try. And in college, I was fortunate enough to live in a house for two years, and that's when I kind of went, crazy and I just grew all of these different things and um it's a very unique perspective being a college student growing fresh produce you know that's not something that's super uh normal you know people know college is like the ramen diet and all these different things right. and so um it just was an interesting transformation because like you know as the chef in the house you know all of my roommates would love to come for uh roommate dinners and things like that but it was a completely different thing when you have college parties and stuff at the house and people are like what is this is this tomatoes or what is this you know this is basil they were just so incredibly impressed that um 
how easy it was to grow. And then they asked all of these natural questions, but aren't as natural as it is in the day to day. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of um, what inspired me to really pursue that because I found that um, education, it's been proven in a lot of different schools who have like a school garden and things like that to ask these questions about uh, the supply chain and where our food actually comes from. I think um, over time we kind of have lost a lot of that because it's just as easy as just going to the grocery store. You don't think um, any of the other layers that kind of fall into that. Um, but as a chef, that's all I care about, you know? So bringing that into my day-to-day -day life, you know, was just really interesting. You know, my roommates started composting and they asked what the, what does that do? And I'm like, Oh, it's mm -hmm. for the plants, you know, and they understood that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, um, making things tangible and making things fun and very personable really kind of, uh, helped integrate that into my life. And it was really rewarding and interesting to see the dynamic of like how that played into, you know, people my age and, because they've just never, it was taboo. They've never seen anything like it, you know? So to be able to share those experiences kind of is how um, I really latched onto that. And I wanted to talk about it more. And that's kind of the sparking uh, inspiration for the start of my show. You know, mm -hmm. it's just very common questions that I knew the answer to, like, duh, like, this is how this works versus yeah. like, oh, you know what? Let's talk about it. Let's have this conversation, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, tell, tell everybody how they can listen to you and how they can find you. I mean, we're coming to the end of our time here. And it's been sure. so lovely just having just kind of a free flow conversation about food and, and waste and health and um, just interesting, fun things. How no, can, I loved, how I can loved we stay in talk. touch? Um, <laughs> I loved your talk. Everybody can find me at Precious Pioneer. Um, you can find me on Instagram, YouTube literally anywhere. Um, but uh, if you want to check out the show, it's Precious the Foodie. And if you have any questions or anything like that, um, I think I'm best if you DM me on Instagram. I'm pretty quick about that. Um, but yeah, the show's called Precious the Foodie and you can find me and reach out to me at Precious Pioneer. Awesome. That's great. So nice to <laughs> chat with you. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. That was really fun. It's always good to uh, find people who connect in similar interests. You know, it, it makes you feel inspired, I think. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. <laughs>